0: If you had one wish, one wish granted to you, what would it be? It sounds like something of a Disney movie, doesn't it? You know, a genie in the lamp. If you had have one wish. But think about it. If you, if you had the opportunity to have any one wish, and you can't ask for like 100 more wishes. That can't be your wish. But if you had one wish and you knew 100% it would be granted, what would you wish for? this actually happened. It's a true story. It's a story that we've referenced a few times in the past. King Solomon's son David, it says, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream and God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. How would you respond? Anything. Anything. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Okay, Solomon, answer the question. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I'm only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Okay, we're still waiting, Solomon. What's your answer? Your servant here is among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. Solomon, what do you want? And finally, the next verse. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. Solomon asked for a discerning heart, a heart of understanding. Some would call this wisdom and ability to not only have knowledge, but the right application of knowledge to serve the people under which he was given a responsibility. I can't imagine being the king of a nation, the president of a country, even the governor of a state or a mayor of a city. I know this. It would drive me to my knees, and nothing has driven me to my knees perhaps more than being a leader, to being a pastor, to being a father, to being a husband, and realizing I don't have what it takes to be a good leader. I don't have what it takes. I'm not smart enough, I'm not wise enough to do the things that I need to do and to do them well. My guess is you could probably use a little wisdom as well. See, why did God make such an offer to to Solomon? It had a lot to do with his father David and his great love for David. But look at God's response to this one request. It says, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to himself, said to him, Since you've asked for this and not for long life or wealth or for yourself, you've not asked for the death of your enemies but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, and there will, never have, there, there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you've not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you'll have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands, as David your father did, I will give you a long life. God's saying, you asked for wisdom, that was a great choice. I'm going to give you all that other stuff too. And if you notice, there is a bit of a clause here. There's a condition here when it comes to God's blessing, which is obedience, keep my decrees and my commands. Did Solomon keep God's commands and decrees? If you know the story, you know he did for a while. And then he got distracted, and God's blessing looked a little different in those days. So then Solomon awoke, and he realized it had been a dream. And what a dream it was. Today we're continuing our series on the book of James. We're calling it Faith Works. And it's a great double entendre, because faith does work. And yet we're told that faith without works is... Dead. Our topic today is wisdom, and I just want to say to all of you as we get started, you better wise up. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, I, I ask you to grant us wisdom, your wisdom today. I ask you to speak through this very fragile voice, this very, very weak voice. Give me strength. Most of all, open our hearts to hear from you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, two weeks ago, Jason Horton tackled the beginning of James chapter 1. If you have your Bibles on your phone or paper, whatever version you want to use, we're going to be looking at James chapter 1 today. Uh, Jason introduced us to the beginning of this passage uh, of what is probably the most practical book in the whole Bible. It was written by James, who was Jesus' half-brother, So if you ever thought you had sibling rivalry in your household, imagine James and Jesus. I can just see James. Who made you God? (laughs) The passage that we that we looked at that Jason preached on so beautifully. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, if you, if you missed Jason's talk on this passage from two weeks ago, I encourage you to go to our app, go to our website, go to our Vimeo page, go to our YouTube page. You get the picture. It was excellent. What we're going to talk about today, beginning at verse 5, flows from this passage, and it's so important to understand context. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people make statements about the Bible that were absolutely ridiculous because they failed to look at what was going on. They didn't understand the context of what was being presented. We have to always understand the big picture, what's being said, and not take things out of context. We know politicians do this all the time. It's an art form for them, but it's unfortunately an art form for a lot of Christians too. Look at the big picture. James is saying, consider it pure joy when you face trials. So we're talking about trials. How many of you have ever experienced a trial in your life? Just raise your hand. Okay, those of you online, you can go ahead and raise your hand too. Okay, now if I'm, not, if I'm not probing too much, how many of you would say that right now, at this moment in time, you personally are experiencing a trial of some sort? Would you raise your hand? Okay, that's what I thought. I figured probably about half of you, in fact, it's been said, you're either in a trial coming out of one or about to go into one, because that's just the way life is. And if you're like me, when you face trials, the first thing you wanna do is whine and complain, tell the whole world your misery, and then yell at God, because it's all his fault, right? James comes along and has the audacity to say, can, consider not just joy, but pure joy. James, like, what's going on? Jason explained a bit about what was going on, but we can see even from this short passage that God uses trials for his glory and for our growth. He uses trials for his glory and our growth. Now, we're not actually going to dwell on this subject of trials so much today, but I want you to understand the context, then, of what follows. Dealing with trials, dealing with suffering. If you're like me, you're prone to say, why, God, why? And as Thomas George, our district superintendent, and one of my dear friends and mentors often says, if we change the question from why to what are you up to, Lord, it can do a lot of good in our lives to understand what God's up to and to step into those things that he wants to do in our lives for his glory and for our growth. The next verse, and kind of where we're starting today, verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And if you get nothing out of this morning, I want you to understand this is a promise from God that he will give you wisdom. And I think specifically in this context, James is speaking of understanding, a heart of understanding about what God is up to in the midst of trials. It doesn't necessarily say if you need wisdom about what kind of toothpaste to buy because there's 80 choices at the grocery store. Although some might consider that a trial first world problems. But it's speaking about wisdom in the midst of trials. What are you up to, God? The original Greek word here for wisdom is Sophia. I once had a boss named Sophia. She was fairly wise, I suppose. But I love the promise, not only that God will grant wisdom, but he will grant it bountifully, generously, extravagantly. Jesus excuse me, James is saying, ask for wisdom, and it will be given to you. How simple is that? What a beautiful promise. He says, ask for it, and it will be given to you, period. Well, not quite. You know the the but? Don't we all love the but? Someone comes up to you, oh, you're just, you're such a wonderful person, but... But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. You must believe. Ron, thank you for your song on I believe, on on, on faith. You must believe. Now, we all have doubts. We all have concerns. We all have questions for God, and those are okay. Look what it says. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. To obtain wisdom, we need faith, but more importantly, we need commitment to God. See, this idea of being double-minded means on Sunday morning, I go to church and I smile and I have a fish on my back of my bumper, uh, bumper sticker and I love Jesus And then the next 167 hours, I live like everybody else. God, I'll give you Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, they are mine. That's a double-minded person. That's someone that's not consistent in their walk. They don't have true faith. They just go through the motions. They put on a show. And we wonder this word hypocrite. it's It's not a new thing. It goes all the way back. See, when he says you need to ask with faith, you need to ask believing, not doubting, it's not about questioning God. We all have moments. We all have moments where we ask God why. But this is a, speaking of a double-minded person, a person not truly committed to God, if you're not fully committed to God, the promise of wisdom does not apply. A close equivalent to this double minded is found in Psalm 12, where it says, Help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. Everyone lies to their neighbor. They flatter with their lips, but they harbor deceit in their hearts. I just wonder, does this describe you? I'm sure you can think of plenty of people it does describe. God will grant wisdom to those truly committed to him who ask. But don't ask for wisdom if you're not prepared to act on it. See, that's the the challenge. That's where faith and trust come in. We say, God, I want to know your will. I think. God, speak to me. Your servant is listening. Just, Just tell me something good. Don't ask me to do fill in the blank. See, we can trust God. He has our best interests at heart. He loves us. He loves you more than you can ever possibly imagine. See, there was a day in our world, in our culture, where knowledge was valuable. Information was scarce. You had to go to the library. You had to, I mean, even before that, most of the world was illiterate. Only special people were educated and And to even understand the Bible, you'd have to go to a church and hear someone read the scriptures because most people were illiterate. That was what the gathering was all about. I mean, a big portion of the the gathering was just listening to the word of God preached. Do we lack information in our world today? (laughs) No. What we lack, unfortunately, is wisdom. Wisdom is the right application of knowledge. Who needs it? I know I need it. I need a whole lot of wisdom. This past year and a half have demanded more wisdom from leaders than perhaps any time in our lives. Should we close? Should we open? Should we encourage mass? Should we mandate mass? Should we get vaccinated? Should we not get vaccinated? Should we mandate that people get ma- va- ma- vaccinated? Should we use the drinking fountains? I mean, all these questions. When people ask me, pastor, how can I pray for you? The most common response I ask is, please pray for wisdom. I need wisdom. I have always needed wisdom. I continue to need wisdom. And while I'm getting more and more gray hairs, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm getting wiser. You know that older and wiser, they're not automatically linked. I I know some old people that are not very wise. I need wisdom, but I need need not conventional wisdom. I need God's wisdom, not the the tickle-the-ears advice. I desperately need God's wisdom, not what's politically correct. I need God's wisdom. It's really hard to follow Jesus in our culture. Have you noticed this? And there's a a constant temptation to, to be like everybody else despite that everybody else seems to be so confused, so fickle, so selfish, so unreliable, and so discontent. Recently, Bible scholar N.T. Wright was on the Catalyst podcast, and he offered this amazing explanation of our current culture. It's a little long, but I want to read it to you. just, just, Just listen to this. I think it's brilliant. He says, It seems to me that we're in a very confused culture with a highly moralistic culture of one sort of our world, that our world, the Western world, has sort of invented new moralisms to take the place of the old ones. But the trouble with the new moralisms is that there is never any redemption. If you're caught out saying accidentally something which somebody else says was racist or crypto-Nazi or whatever it is, then that's it. You're out. You're canceled. You're in social hell, even atheist hell, if you like. There's no way back. There's no chance for repentance or forgiveness, and so on. That's a very cruel culture. People used to object to Christians banging on about sin, but the point of banging on about sin was to say there's a way back to God from the darkness of sin, or as the old hymn says it, and to say we're all sinners was actually a positive doctrine because the answer is that we've got a diagnosis for the problem, and what's more, we have a solution. We have a remedy. God has provided the remedy. Whereas in the present social and culture climate, everyone is nervous about tripping up over some hidden thou shall not in the culture, whether it's about gender rights of one sort or another or issues to do with race and so on. And the rules keep on changing. And as the rules change, when you're my age, it's very hard to keep up with them. It reminds me of that Roman Empire uh, emperor who made new rules and printed them out or stuck them out very small and had them stuck on high walls where nobody could read them, and then would punish people for not obeying these rules, and sometimes our contemporary culture feels like that. And we have to argue for the importance of genuine morality, yes, but what we have at the moment is a sort of pseudo-morality of this victim culture, where if somebody feels upset by something somebody else has quite innocently said, then they can blame the person who's done it. And once you blame them, there's no way back. They are non-persons or they're damned, or whatever, so how we respond to that as Christians is very different from the kind of stuff that most of us grew up with, which was assuming that most people around us were sort of crypto-Pelagians, thinking they could behave themselves, and therefore go to heaven when they die. That's not what people are thinking out there on the street now, and we have to get used to articulating the message of Jesus in a very, very different context. Do you connect with that? Does that make sense to you? I felt like in that short summary, all of this craziness in our chaos is clear. See, we can follow Jesus and the plan that he has for us, acknowledge that we're sinners, acknowledge that we've messed up, and receive his grace. Or we can try to play by the rules which are changing all the time and you don't even know one thing for another. I mean, I I read something this week It said that that calling exotic food was racist. I'm like, food? You'd be a racist for talking about food. Like, what, what is that all about? See, our culture lacks wisdom. We have all sorts of knowledge and information But there is no rhyme or reason. We've given up the Bible. We've given up any sense of timeless morality, and have fallen into this chaos of just, I'm so insecure, I'm going to be offended by anything anybody says, and once I do, I'm just going to cancel them eternally, which doesn't really bode well for the future of society, because just give it a little bit of time, and we're all going to be offended by one another, and we're going to live in isolation, which is exactly what the enemy wants to do to steal, kill, and destroy. And you've, a lot of you have seen this in your family, in your home, with your friends, with work. You make one innocent comment, and boom. Now, I'm in no way advocating for racist behaviors or inappropriate, offensive things. But clearly, w- when we're calling people out for describing food as exotic, we're, I think we're, we're just taking ourselves a little too seriously. That poor apple. Now, I have to confess, sometimes I get caught up in issues of our day and I get fear, filled with fear and uncertainty about the future, rather than going to God and saying, God, give me wisdom. Not even just wisdom about what I need to do, wisdom about how I respond, wisdom about what I fill my mind with, the information, the data. I need your wisdom, Lord, to interpret what's going on in our culture. I wish I had the wisdom of N.T. Wright to just put all this stuff in one neat little package. By the way, if some of you are looking for that quote, you can find it on PastorKirk.com later today as I post my message notes each week. If you're not familiar with N.T. Wright, he's arguably the, the premier New Testament scholar in the world and someone who's really challenged me deeply. I can't say this enough. I just need wisdom. You need wisdom. Following Jesus in our day requires supernatural wisdom. And the good news, the gospel, it's it. It is supernatural wisdom and we're promised that if we ask and if we believe. Perhaps my greatest fear when I think about leading, being a pastor, is getting in the way of what God wants to do. I need wisdom to represent him well, to be filled with genuine love, to love you well, to love my family well love God well, to love our world well, to be a good example of what it means to follow Christ. I need wisdom. So I, I beg you, please pray for me and pray for wisdom. Pray for our elders, for our staff, that we would make good decisions, that we would be wise, that we would follow Jesus who is our senior pastor. What I love about encouraging you to pray for wisdom it's promised that if you follow Christ, he will grant you that prayer. He will give you wisdom. There are four more verses I want to look at before we conclude today that relate to wisdom. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Uh, excuse me, that would be called a typo on my part. Belive- believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position verse 9. Does that even make sense? It does in the upside down kingdom of God where the first shall be last and saving your life means losing it for Christ's sake. A few chapters later, James will say humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. The world says you need a platform, you need to be famous, you need to be a YouTube star, you need to have all sorts of likes on your Facebook posts and Instagram, you need to have a blog that's read by millions of people, it's all about you and lift yourself up. By the way, grab as much money and sex and power as you can along the way. It's all about you. But God says, surrender to me, and I will lift you up. Wow, that makes it easy, doesn't it? There's nothing in there about effort, about striving, about working hard. I'm not saying be lazy. But we surrender to God, and he will lift us up. Some of you this morning, you find yourselves in humble circumstances. Some of you are homeless, you're jobless, you're spouseless maybe you're even penniless. Take pride in your high position. What? Humble yourselves before the Lord. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. Your story's not over. He hasn't forgotten you. Humble yourself, and He will lift you up. You are a masterpiece in need of restoration, like me and the rest of us. God's doing a beautiful work in and through First Alliance right now, restoring his masterpieces. Celebrate Recovery is one avenue where beautiful things are taking place. Wednesdays at 7, you're all invited. Do life together. Get in a life group. You can't do this life thing by yourself. It just doesn't work. You're not that good, you're not that smart, you're not that powerful. We all need one another. My dream is that every single one of you would get connected to a life group this fall. Do life with others. We have several new groups, by the way, that are going to be launching. You're going to hear about them in the coming weeks. But, humble yourselves in the Lord, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom fails and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. There's a weather event in the Middle East that's called the Sirocco. It's a very devastating hot wind that blows from the southern desert into Palestine, destroying flowers and plants and pretty much everything else in its path. What an image. See, money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is. James reminds us that the rich, which, by the way, almost all of us compared to the rest of the world, will pass away someday. You can't take it with you. It reminds me of the the man who, like Solomon, was granted one wish, and the man said, I have a wish. I would like to see tomorrow's newspaper. He was a betting man. He was a sports fan, particularly like the racetrack, and he thought, if I could see tomorrow's paper... Well, I'd do pretty well at the racetrack today. So he was granted his wish, and he got a chance to see the next day's newspaper, and he got to see all the the horse racing and all the, the, the betting and who would win the next day's race. There was just one problem. He also found his name in the obituary. See, rich or poor, young or old, black or white, wolverine or buckeye, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. James often speaks about trials, because he knows that trials make us grow, they humble us, they bring us to our our knees, and they develop our character. Again, trials are what God uses to help us grow, and they're used for his glory. As we said at the beginning of the the book, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I'm going to invite the music team to come up as we close with a song. See, in the middle of trials, we need wisdom. We need to understand what God is up to, or at least seek understanding of what God is up to, because if we can understand the purpose of our trials and suffering, it helps us endure them. It gives us a hope and a purpose. Erwin McManus recently said this. He said, I've always wondered why the Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Have you ever wondered this? In fact, we're told throughout Scripture, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear. But 365 times more than any other command, it says fear not. But there's one thing we are supposed to fear, which is God, and I, I've struggled with this too. So we're supposed to uh, be, not be afraid of anything except God, but do we want to be afraid of God? Like, is that, is that the posture we want to have of God? And we say, oh, well, no, that's not the posture, it's, it's about reverence, you know, we want to be reverent to God. I could still never really make sense of this. And as I, as I want to be a wise person and I want to seek wisdom, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So I wrestled with this. And then, and then Irwin said this. I, I just thought this was brilliant. He said, Why do we want to fear God? Whatever you fear has mastery over your life. Whatever you're afraid of, that's your master. If you only fear God, then only God is your master. Every other fear will use that fear to hold you captive. And some of you have been captives of your fear, whatever it may be. He says, but when you, when you fear God, he destroys the fear because it says that perfect love casts out all fear when all your fear is directed at god his perfect love casts out all the fear and now you can live a life that's truly free some of you you've you've been in bondage you're seeking freedom you're only going to find freedom in christ Because every other fear, every other addiction, every other pursuit is going to lead to a dead end. It's going to actually shackle you. But when we fear God, he releases us from all the other fears. He becomes our master. He knows what's best for us. We can pursue him. We can pursue his wisdom and find incredible peace and contentment as a result. And if we're we're honest, we've all made poor choices in life. We've done some unwise things. I know I have. Which is why I'm so grateful for God's amazing grace. We started this morning singing about it. We're going to close today singing about it. And how we all come to him as broken vessels with all of our messes. Maybe some of your stuff was in the past, some of it's recent past. The amazing thing about his grace, his unmerited favor, is his arms are outstretched to welcome you, to love you, to invite you back in. And I just want to encourage you, family, put your faith, your trust in Jesus. He's the best master.